It is time to dig deep with Stacy and Stacy, a podcast for anyone hungry for God and willing to tackle today's relevant issues with authentic conversations inspired by Holy Scripture, prayer, and devotion to the sacraments. Hosted by two Texas gals who went to the same country Baptist church as little girls, had crazy lives, and found each other again decades later as Catholic convert wives and moms. Get ready, y'all. They're fixing to get real. Hi, I'm Stacy Parkinson. And I'm Stacy Crescentos. Welcome to Friday, November 18th. Yay, Friday. Friday, we love Fridays. This <laughs> is Friday of the 33rd week in Ordinary Time. And Stacy is going to give us her daily reflection on scripture for today now yes. good morning stacy <laughs> good morning good morning let's say our prayer and get started in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen amen lord we thank you this day we thank you for this day keep us mindful of you and lead us help us to not lean on our own understanding but to trust you trust you to direct each and every step that we take and Lord, we just ask that you draw us close to you and open the eyes of our understanding that we may comprehend your scriptures. Give us fresh eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Mother Mary, please pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Okay. Well, grab your cup of tea, grab your cup of coffee and your Bible and spend some time with the Lord today. All right, so today we are going to read the gospel. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. After the crowd had eaten their fill, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love these scriptures, and I know we've talked about them before. And as I was reading them, I thought, I wonder what happened before this. So I looked back, and I wanted to talk about the what happened leading up to these scriptures. So in this same chapter, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod, which is, if you don't know the story, kind of scandalous. So I wanted to tell you about it. Herod had John arrested, had him bound and put in prison on account of Herodias, 
his brother Philip's wife because John had been telling him it's not lawful for you to have her. So John was telling them that that Philip and Herodias did not need to be together. And so Herod wanted to kill him, but he hesitated because the people believed that John was a prophet and Herod was afraid of the disapproval. He was afraid of the backlash of the people. However, it was his birthday and he threw a big birthday celebration and Herodias's daughter danced for him in front of everybody. And he promised her in front of everybody that he would give her anything she wanted. Well, she consulted her mother, Herodias, and at her mother's request, she asked Herod for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So it was very revengeful. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and the head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. It says that when Jesus heard of this, he withdrew. Jesus got in a boat and went to a deserted place by himself. I guess sometimes Jesus needed to be alone to pray. Several times in scripture, it talks about how Jesus went up on the mountain to pray or how he prayed all night. He was grieving the loss of his uh, friend and relative, John the Baptist. Remember, John leapt in his mother's womb. Elizabeth was John's mother, and he leapt in his mother's womb when Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, went to visit her. Matthew 11 tells us that uh, Jesus says, Among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. But he goes on to say, The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When Jesus went off by himself, the townspeople heard that he had gone off alone, and they followed him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. Well, this always stuck out to me. I know that when we grieve or when we're sad or when we're upset, or when we're going through a struggle, we've all heard that it's a great time to serve others. Even in Jesus' sadness, he was moved with compassion and he cured their sick. I tell you, when you're wallering, when I'm wallering, it's hard to step outside of myself and do something for someone else. I can get pretty self-absorbed. However, I think that's exactly why we are told to serve others during our times of struggles. So that we have to step outside of our own circumstances and stop wallowing, stop focusing on our whatever's happening to us at that moment and think about other people. Focus on somebody else. Help them in their time of need. Well, I read this years ago and I thought, well, that's what Jesus did. So it's biblical. Even in his grief, he had compassion on others. He served them. He healed their sick. Jesus has such a servant's heart. And we are to imitate him. In the book of Mark, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they asked Jesus if they could sit on either side of him when he came into glory. And Jesus said that to them, To sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other disciples heard that James and John were asking this, they got really upset with them. And so Jesus said to all of them, 
you know that among the Gentiles, those who recognize as their rulers lorded over them. The rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus truly was a servant to all. And he gave his life for all of us. And we are to imitate him. It goes on to say, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. And the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. We know this story. However, it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll do, I'll feed them. I'll take care of them. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. He tells them to do it. He doesn't do for others what they can do for themselves or for others. He doesn't do for others what they could do for others. He doesn't do for them. He asked them to do it. So perhaps Jesus is teaching them to serve one another here. They were certainly thinking about the crowd and their needs, that they were hungry, but they stopped short of serving them. Don't send them away. We have to feed them. I think of the reasons we hesitate to serve others. Serving can be inconvenient. It can be costly. No one wants to be inconvenienced. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. You know, I have a friend that she would literally, as I was reading this, I was thinking of her because she would literally give the shirt off her back without a second thought, sacrifice herself to help anyone. And I've seen her do it so many times, mm -hmm. but that's rare these days. Mm -hmm. Peter tells us that Christ left an example for us and we should follow in his steps. Mother Teresa said, service to mankind is service to God. I'm just rem reminded by reading all these scriptures today yeah. that yesterday we said, do unto others as you would have them do unto, uh, to, do unto you. We are to treat others the way we want to be treated. We are to imitate Christ. We are to serve. And that's a good thing to reflect on as we get ready for Thanksgiving, because that's that's what we're going to be doing. As you were just <laughs> talking, Stacey, I was thinking... I was thinking, you know, it would probably be really good for my kids if I told them next week what you just said, Stacey, to, to I'll have them listen to your, your words on the podcast and have them next week think about what they can do to serve others. Like teenage mm -hmm. girls, especially, they're kind of pushed into thinking about themselves all the time because they have so many decisions to make. I'm sure for boys, too. Um, so many decisions to make about their school and their activities and their future. But. It, what a wonderful thing during Thanksgiving week to ask them to to take time to think of what they can do to serve other people and do it. Mm -hmm. Follow through with it. Go ahead and do it. Because mm -hmm. um, you do get so many blessings when you serve someone else. We know that as moms, I look forward to Thanksgiving because I love that. I love that point in the day when everybody's feasting on the food you prepared and uh, you, you're enjoying seeing them eat the eat the de deviled eggs. Oh, in our family, we don't call them deviled eggs. We call them boat eggs because we don't want to say That's the so devil's funny. name. <laughs> That's so funny. We call ours angel eggs. Angel eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, angel, yours is a holy name. I should do that. 
They well, look like where goats. Did you get, where did you get boat eggs? Where did that come from? What, when they were little, one of the kids are like, why are they deviled eggs? I don't want to <laughs> eat them. Because when they were little, we were learning about all that. I'm like, well, you're right. I don't know why they're called deviled eggs. Why don't you think of a, a better name? And they're like, well, they look like boats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so a, we call that's them good. boat eggs. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know why I thought about that. But um, before we go on to the catechism, there was a question that that your husband had yesterday, Stacey, and I think it was a very good question um, that I kind of knew the answer to, but I didn't know the full answer to. And probably you out there also have the same question or are wondering about this. The question is, what is the catechism? Like, what what is it? That's not exactly quite how Pat put it, but why do we have this catechism? What Have we always had a catechism? And that asks the bigger question, what is a catechism? So a lot of people who are adults today that grew up in the church, my husband included, they're very familiar with the Baltimore catechism. But, but what is that in the bigger picture? I wanted to answer that question better because it is important that we understand how the catechism fits into everything else. We have encyclicals, we have publications, we have notes from the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, we have uh, conference proceedings from the Pontifical Academies, we have all these things. But what is the catechism? Okay. The first catechism in the Catholic Church was actually the Didache. Have you ever heard of that, Stacey? I've heard that word. Yes. I, I, I thought it was didache the first time. It's one of those Catholic words. No. Um, yeah, when you said the word, I could see it spelt out in my mind. Yeah. I absolutely thought that was how you said <laughs> D-I-D-A-C-H. Did-A-C-H. Did-A-C-H. And it means, it just means teaching. It's a Greek word for teaching. And it's known as the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. That was the full name. And it was it was during the time of the apostles. It was the first summary of Catholic teaching so to speak, that was passed out to the nations. So Mm -hmm. it's a textbook of our teaching. Um, Catholic catechisms have, there have been many, and there have been even others since the catechism of the Catholic Church, but there was the Roman catechism from the Council of Trent in 1566. There was a catechism of Christian doctrine in 1567. I'm looking on Wikipedia for that. There was the Douay Catechism, 1649. I never heard of any of those. Hmm. Uh, And the catechism of the Catholic Church that we use now was actually published in 1992. It was a synthesis of faith issued since the Council of Trent in 1566. So it was sort of the one that came after the Council of Trent, but that's 400 years later. Wow. So there was the the Council of Trent, I think, was the the big one before the catechism we have now. And there have been other ones even since then, like UCAT for the youth, the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, which I really like. It's at the USCCB website. Um, On this is one of the things I found most helpful on the USCCB's website. There is a page, and I've linked it in our show notes today, called Frequently Asked Questions about the Catechism. So you can ask these questions. What is it? A catechism is a text. It's like a textbook, which contains the fundamental Christian truths. It's the book of answers, as I say, formulated in a way that facilitates their understanding and also their historical development. So you you can see where they came from. Like we're seeing where all this stuff about the Bible came from De Verbum, the encyclical from Vatican II. There are two categories of catechism uh, 
I learned this when I worked for Bishop Strickland because he wanted us to write a minor catechism for the Diocese of Tyler and start working on that. The, the two categories are major and minor. So the major catechism is the one we're talking about now, the catechism of the Catholic Church. The Baltimore catechism is actually an example of a minor catechism. So a minor catechism is when a bishop has a catechism written just for his people in his diocese. But what happened with the Baltimore Catechism written for the Baltimore Diocese, it was so well done, other people used it, which is permissible, of course. A universal catechism is a major one that is supposed to be for the universal church. So the one we use now is not just major, it's universal. And it was started in 18, 1985. It wasn't just all one year. It was finally complete in 1992 when John Paul II approved it and promulgated the catechism with his apostolic constitution. For whom is it intended? I didn't know this either, but this major catechism that we're reading through now was intended, first of all, for bishops as teachers of the faith and then the priests and pastors that served them. They were supposed to take it and teach it to us. They have the first responsibility as catechists. Through the bishops, then, the catechism is addressed, taught, and the priest, catechists, and others responsible for teaching use it. So the catechism we're reading now was not originally intended for direct use by young people or children. It was offered by Pope John Paul II to all the faithful who want to understand the inexhaustible riches of salvation. Getting back to the catechism for today, then, does that make sense, Stacey? No, that's that's great. I mean, that, and I think that absolutely answers Pat's question too. You know, he he was wondering about the Baltimore Catechism and how that all played into it. So you painted a, a full picture there, a bigger picture, because I had the same question when I was working for Bishop Strickland. He he explained all that to me, and I looked it up and read more about it. I heard about the Baltimore, uh, the Baltimore yeah. Catechism when I was going through RCIA. I just didn't know exactly what it was because I was using the one that we yeah. have now that we're going through. Mm. And that's the right one to use. I mean, we have, I have copies of the Baltimore Catechism here in the house, and I have the Baltimore Catechism for children on different issues that I used with them. But it really, it really um, doesn't go into full detail on a lot of things. So I, I like the one we're using now. Like I, that's where I go if I have a question. Um, it's, it's so well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the section of the catechism that we're going through today is on page 36, section numbers 128 through 130 on the unity of the Old and New Testament. This is something I know I've said it before on here. When I had to learn about this in a course for my theology studies, I had a pretty hard time getting my head around it because it was an absolutely foreign idea to me that that a text was supposed to be read in light one part in light of another part and another part in light of another part like i didn't get what we call another big catholic word typology typological reading and that's what they call it typological reading that word is in number 129 in the catechism and it's talking about how we read the unity of the Old and New Testament. Let me tell you what it says here, and then I'll explain it. The church, as early as apostolic times, and then constantly in her tradition, has illuminated the unity of the divine plan in the two testaments 
through typology. Okay, so it's in 128 as well. Typology, which discerns in God's works the old covenant prefigurations of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. 129. Christians, therefore, read the Old Testament in light of Christ crucified and risen. This discloses the, again, that word, inexhaustible content of the Old Testament, but it, but it must not make us forget the Old Testament retains its own intrinsic value as revelation. It's part of salvation history. The New Testament has to be read with the Old Testament in mind in light of the old. Early Christians made constant use of the Old Testament. That's all they had. Mm-hmm. As an old saying put it, the New Testament, I love this, the, and this is from St. Augustine. So even back wow. in the fourth and fifth century, as an old saying put it from St. Augustine, the New Testament lies hidden in the old and the Old Testament is unveiled in the new. I love that. And that I had never heard anything like that before. But we're talking about salvation history here. I mean, the Old Testament was leading up to Christ coming in the fullness of time. And then the New Testament is just basically saying, echoing back to the Old Testament. Yes, this is coming to pass. This is coming to pass. This is coming to pass. It's fulfilled. And that's why when you read the Bible, you feel like it all fits together. Because it does. It does in so many ways. And it blew my mind because as much as Protestants love the Bible, like even my grandmother telling me to read the Bible every chapter a day, and I read it three times through, I had never heard that it fit together like this. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was like one of those moments when light bulbs were going off in my head that was divine illumination. <laughs> and and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I had no idea. I, I didn't know how to think about this. So typology in the unity Old and New Testament is very important. Last part, it indicates the dynamic dynamic movement toward the fulfillment of the divine plan. When, quoting, God will be everything to everyone value, nor do the calling of the patriarchs and the exodus from Egypt, for example, lose their own value in God's plan. We understand like the exodus from Egypt for what it was. But after Christ came, we're able to look back and see how it was leading somewhere, how there was a purpose. Like Stacy and I say in our life all the time, I had to get to my fifties before mm-hmm. I could look back and understand God's plan in my life. It wasn't making sense in the moment. Mm-hmm. I imagine for the Egyptians, they probably felt the same way. And, mm-hmm. and it, we have the benefit. We don't just have the benefit of looking back over the years of just our life. We can look at the whole of scripture and see that God is indeed faithful, but sometimes in the moment, so many moments in the Old Testament, the New Testament too, you you could probably wonder, those people were probably pretty confused. They didn't understand where God was going with all this. But right. when you look at the whole Bible, you can see it. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing the church teaches about how we read this. And the best way I ever heard it explained to me that, that helped my ever afflicted materialist scientist mind get my head around something like this is... It's like looking at a picture. I mean, if you if you think about your lifetime, you you can you have a, a glimpse of it in a moment. You look over your life in a moment, you see the whole thing. If you're standing on a hill looking out at a landscape, you see the whole landscape at once. You don't you don't see one rock and then another piece of grass and then another leaf and then another tree. You don't you don't see the landscape in little bitty pieces and then try to figure out how it all goes together. 
you see the whole. You see all the rocks and leaves and grass and clouds and sun, all of it together, all at once as one picture. And that's how we're supposed to look at the Bible. And, and that's how God looks at everything. He sees everything all at once. Right. Um, and it just, it, it helps me when I read the Bible. And this is why, as I think Protestants sometimes do, this is why cherry picking scripture out of the Bible and interpreting it sundered, cut apart from the rest of the Bible is so very wrong. You have to read it in context like you you do, Stacey. You, you do research and you look it up. So you have to read it in context. You have to read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old with Christ at the center. Everything circles around Christ. That's right. That's right. You do have to read it in context because you have to. And, not, and you know, I've always heard that, you know, the Bible is types and shadows. Like mm -hmm. the Old Testament is types and shadows. I had not heard the the words, of course, when you come into the Catholic Church, they have a word for everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Typology. Yeah, exactly. I'd never heard that before. But I'd always heard types and shadows. And you can you can go and you can read the Old Testament and knowing the New Testament, you can read the Old Testament and you can see the fulfillment, you know, mm -hmm. in in the old and in the new. And uh, I mean, it's I love the way it all fits together. And that's why when you're reading a scripture in the New Testament, you'll think, oh, that reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. And, uh -huh. you know, and it, it you reflect back and forth. And even there's so many scriptures uh, in the New Testament that you know, they refer back to the writers of the New Testament, refer back to the Old Testament. Yeah. Yep. And you're very good at doing that, Stacey. That's that's your knowledge of scripture allows you to be able to do that at the snap of a finger. You know right where to go and right where to look things up. And it's a blessing. <laughs> and we appreciate your knowledge on all of that. Well, mm -hmm. we better wrap up for the day. Get on mm -hmm. with our stuff to do with our busy families. Um, mm -hmm. It's Friday. Next we are, week is Thanksgiving. Yes. And we are trying to make a decision about what we're going to do next week. Uh, it may be that Stacy and I need to take a break next week because we've had very busy weeks yeah. the last few weeks. And Our we're kids are out of school next empty. week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good weekend. We will be back with updates as soon as possible. I'm Stacy Farquharson. And I'm Stacy Trisenkos. Until next time. If you are interested in bringing Stacy and Stacy to your parish or study group for a retreat or a talk, they would love to come liven things up and keep it real. Please see stacyandstacy.site for more information.